It's Thursday, March 14th, 2019, and you're listening to episode 508 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 58 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. All right, so Secretary Chad (laughs) brought me something that a listener sent. Do you even know who sent this? I, you know, I did a month ago when I got it. <laughs> so, okay. So a listener sent me something wonderful, and I'll post a picture of the show notes. They, and Chad does not recall who, so I apologize. Oh, okay. Yeah, later it's on me. We're not uh-huh. my secretary. I'll, I'll find a better one. Uh-huh. Some, Good. <laughs> I'll help you find one. A plush baby shark. It's a yellow baby shark. I guess it's maybe about like 10 inches tall or so, and it's ostensibly when you squeeze it or something it sings how does this work are you asking me yeah oh i may have to pull this out first i don't know i did not read the instructions i don't open your mail i just deliver it oh this is gonna be stuck in my head now see it sings this is outstanding does it does it stop singing (laughs) hopefully not so you we're just going to go with this. This is going to be the background music on our show now. <laughs> That's not copywritten or anything. No, no. Well, at one point, John wanted us to use Yakety Sax, you know, the <laughs> Benny Hill thing. You know, that might That be, actually is yeah. more appropriate. Yeah. You wanted and that. It might be open source at this point. Right. Just running of, constantly in the background of, of our copy. show. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, it's just going to be yeah, Baby Shark. So Pu- Baby Shark is not public domain. No. So I just realized when I was writing something that, Fear the Boot is getting kind of old. Like, <laughs> I didn't realize that we are now approaching 13 years of yes. podcasting. My son is in junior high now. I know. And, you know, actually, looking at the dates, what is your son's birthday? Uh, this month. No, I mean, ne- next month. You know, okay, yeah. so your son's birthday is... When the show drops, it will be Yeah, this so month. do you realize your son is roughly the same age as the show? Because as best as I can figure... Your son was conceived a few months into the run of the show. Yeah. So, like, Fear the Boot starts, and then a couple of months later, Sky is conceived. Mm-hmm. So, he is kind of the Fear the Boot baby. Right. He is. <laughs> but when we started this show, in like 13 years ago, there were two episodes we did that were some of our, our early hits. Okay, mm-hmm. people really like these shows. It was common GM mistakes and common player mistakes. Yes. And we talked about all kinds of things. And common like, sky mistakes. Yes. The common prophylactic mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about things like masturbating the dice and oh, whatever. Man. You can go back and listen to the show if you want to hear them. So Wayne suggested that we do some kind of flip side shows of those. So we do these opposing shows where... Instead of talking about what people do wrong, we're going to talk about GM Christmas and player Christmas. <laughs> so this is what the GMs can receive from the players or the players can receive from the GMs that really just makes the game work for them, makes them happy. All right. So do we want to do GMs first? So what do you, how do you make a GM Christmas? Let's start with GM. All right. So let's start with the GM Christmas. How do you make GM Christmas? The first one I'm going to give is... Give me a backstory that's got something I can use. Because the more personal I can make the plot, the more that I know it's going to help you. It's going to help you get into the story. And also, 
it helps me get some ideas for plot hooks to move the groups, maybe even gives me some inspiration for the games that I wasn't going to go this direction. But as I was trying to figure out who Wayne's long lost brother <laughs> really is, I created a whole new character and faction and arc over here that has now enriched the game. And it's the way that the players not only ensure their buy-in, but also help me flesh out the setting. And so for me, that is a big one, is give me a backstory that has some hooks I can use. Now, I will say that there's a balancer to that, though, too. As a as my GM in Christmas is don't expect me to use your backstory or all of it. As a game master, I mean, I should. You went to the effort of, of writing this, but maybe it doesn't really fit with where I was going. Oh, or... I just said give it to me. I didn't yeah, say Yeah, yeah, give it to But I, I think there has to be that expectation. You don't have to use it. Yeah. It, it's not a matter of volume of backstory. Yeah, write as much backstory as you want. Huge novels worth of character stuff, but... I'm going to only use what interests me, what I think I can use, the tools that I can use. And also, if you give me novels and novels worth of stuff, I'm probably not going to read it all. It's cool to you. And you wrote it, and it's really awesome to you. It's all the things you love. That doesn't necessarily mean it's all the things that I love. But it's better than nothing. You know, you say that. (laughs) But I can work with nothing. Now, so here's my GM sort of Chad Christmas thing is be open to my input on your character. And what I mean by that is you write a whole bunch of backstory or you don't write any backstory at all. Maybe you're the type of person where it's just like, yeah, I kind of figured out in flight. I, I don't want to write all this stuff. Allow me to interpret what you've given me or not given me. If you haven't given me anything, don't sit there and be surprised when I have a long lost brother show up and try and murder you. You know, it's like, well, where I don't have a brother. Where did that come from? No, no, you didn't have anything. I have made this to flesh out your character in my game and to integrate them. So let me ask you guys a question that I think is relevant to this. Have you guys ever sat down with an older relative? And I say older, like as in one that's kind of near the end of their life where they don't care as much (laughs) about image and such. And they start telling you the true stories of how everything went down. So I've had some of that, but I had something kind of similar but different. I had a conversation with my mom a few years ago about how as the older relatives were dying, we were missing some of these actual stories of their childhood and the family stories. And so she sat down and she wrote a, this is a 20 page, her history. And she didn't sugarcoat it. She went through and told the good, the bad, the, and it's, as you go through and she talks about her mindset in it of, I've never told anyone this before. At this point, I wondered if I was a bad mother and she gets into all of her inner mindset. And it was fascinating just seeing from a different take because yeah. you've always had the the sugar-coated versions of the stories you hear the story it's like oh ha 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 that's funny and then you now you read the version of what really happened uh, this came up for me with i'm going to say an extended family member because i want to keep this intentionally imprecise but they found out that they were baby shark 
<laughs> Your <laughs> fault. Yeah. But they found out <laughs> that they were actually bastard child. Do, do, do. No, <laughs> not them, but actually it was their dad mm-hmm. was apparently not the legitimate child of the grandfather. Of mommy shark. Of, yeah. yeah, of a grandma shark. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, of course, this matters. The reason it matters is because of the fact that now that we're doing more work with, like, genetic risk factors for cancer, mm-hmm. knowing who you're related to is important. Right. And what he found out, once again, kind of when people got older and didn't have as much to lose by admitting their scandals, that I think it's the grandfather and grandmother separated at some point, and during that separation, grandma mm-hmm. might have gotten around a little bit. And apparently, for her, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not commenting morally at all. I'm just <laughs> relating the story. And apparently, the grandma get your groove on. So you've earned it. It, it made this generation. I mean, you you fought Nazis. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to look down on you for that. And so, uh, yeah, but. I guess what I'm getting at here is, Shad, you talked about mm-hmm. allowing you to interpret the characters and work with them. I think as a player, I would have no problem with a GM doing that with the empty spaces. Yes. That if I have said X is X, okay, then you're going to stick with that. But if I have simply said nothing on the topic of Y, I, as far as I'm concerned, I have yeah. no problem with that. Because my point here about have you guys asked relatives these things, because I have heard some interesting scandals some which i'm not prepared to repeat Mm. about my own family where i have come to accept i don't know my life's history and context as well as i think i do Mm -hmm. and so if i was playing let's go back to gold of gnarl and all of a sudden you said oh well guess what one of his litter mates survived or something like that and Here's Gnarl. Here's the summons to family court. Yeah, here's Gnarl's brother or sister. You've got 52 dependents. He's got 52 dependents. He may have blown out a litter somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Then I'd accept that. You know, it's it's. I didn't comment on this, and I don't perfectly know his life because he doesn't perfectly know his right. life. I think I would only as a player be upset if you were to contradict me. So... I think that there has to be some give in that, too. So, but, I, I mean, I, I completely hear you, what you're saying. I mean, if I make a character and it is set in stone that my character's father died and it really impacted my character and it's not... And I made it really clear in there that the father is dead and buried and cremated and he's not coming back and this is about my past and it's not. this is not an empty space and suddenly I had Vampire Dad, I'd be like, come on, man. Yeah. You know, what you doing? <laughs> But I think that there has to be a little bit of give and take, even outside of the empty spaces, because as a game master, I'm not a setting expert. Like, maybe I'm running the setting, and even if it's like an established IP like Star Trek, I don't know the length and breadth of Star Trek. I know a lot, but I might mess some stuff up. So, But that's Star Trek. I've sat, I've watched every episode, I've watched the movies, I've, I've watched the cartoon, right? Your character that you wrote that I read once, I don't have that level of buy-in with. Now, I like your character. He's really cool. But I'm not a subject matter expert on your character. So if we're playing a game and I write in something that impacts that non-empty space, did it do it in a way that really hurt you and your enjoyment of the game? Well, maybe we need to have a conversation. Did it not? Mm, 
okay, maybe we can just kind of keep going with it to keep the momentum of the story, and maybe you can work with it sort of thing. Uh, there always has to be a little bit of give and take there. So I'm going to go a completely different direction with uh, my Christmas gift. Is it an actual Christmas gift? You, you want physical products in your game. <laughs> no, you, you guys have gone on into characters and backstories mm-hmm. and all. I'm going mechanics. Mm-hmm. I love when a player takes the time to learn the system. But at very least... Learn what's on your character sheet. <laughs> if I have to, if every time I've I ask you to do fight. something, <laughs> I've got to tell you, add this number and this number and this, it completely messes my flow of the game. Right. Take some damn degree yeah. of responsibility. Yes. Yeah. That's why I, I'm not a big, you need to learn every rule type thing. Mm-hmm. Just know what your character does. Yeah. Just if know the mechanics of your character. If we're 52 weeks in and we've never done the grapple thing and somebody just maybe even the game master has somebody grapple with you and you're like i don't know what to do here that's okay if you have cast the same spell that you cast in every game the same way with the same numbers and the same dice and you've even cast it multiple times in the same game and you have not gone a sufficient length of time when you didn't cast it how can you goddamn not know what dice to roll yes and (laughs) It's not even that I really care that you know the mechanics. It's that you're messing up the flow of the game. Right. I want to get this to go, go fast, get into it, and I have to take the time to point again to where it's at on your sheet. So I have given up this fight. I I have players who they aren't into that sort of thing, and I get it because I used to be like that. I used to be very scattered, not really into the Mm -hmm. mechanics, and I'm not into the mechanics still. But you as a player learn the mechanics of your character. I do. You are the you are what I look for, what I'm asking for out of players. You're not a mechanics guy, but you learn the mechanics of your character. At, a, at least a minimal level to get by because I've been on the other side of the screen. I know Wayne's pain. It's been my pain. I, I get it. And that's fine. We have players who just, they, they, they will never do that. And I've given up the fight and that's fine. And... I think it comes on to the GM again, unfairly or fairly, to work around that, to not challenge them mechanically with challenging sort of rule grapple magic. I'm covered in a grease spell sort of crazy rule stuff. Ask them to roll initiative. Yeah. Why would you do that? Then they have to find where it's out on their sheet. Right. Uh, Next I mean, to the word initiative. <laughs> There's a couple of things you could do. Now, some of this is going to be acceptable and some of it is not going to be acceptable. One of the things I do is just roll some dice. Which die? What do I do? It's initiative. Just roll the big round one. (laughs) Just give me a number. Because with that character, that player, we play high-low now. They are there to roll dice and have fun and to tell a story. And they are not there to be mechanically effective. Yeah. They just want to be spectacular. Well, and let's and be honest, fine. a lot of times you can tell by the die roll without knowing what the modifier is, whether it's going to be successful or not. I believe I've read a couple of role-playing games where, you know how they give that first chapter of advice of, you know, sort of thing. I know I've read a couple of role-playing games that were very mechanical, crunchy systems that say that. They give a couple of paragraphs about how if you're going and there's a flow and you have to look a rule up, just have them roll the dice. If they roll a 19, they're probably going to succeed. Right. If they roll a 2, they're probably going to fail. Why bother going into all the math when you can yeah. see? When you just know, and it's acceptable. Now, 
another thing that you can do in that that sort of situation is you can make cheat sheets for them. And I don't mean, well, here's just a bunch of rules. Get their character sheet from them. Make them a cheat sheet that is very basic, where it says initiative in 10.5. Roll the big round one. <laughs> no, it's... I guess you could do the 80-20 there. Yeah, yeah. here's, here's the 20% of things you're going to roll 80% of the time. Here's your yep. base to hit with your primary weapon. Here's your And you don't even couch it like that. You yeah. couch it in, in friendly terms that they can get. You got to whack someone with your sword, roll this die. Yeah. And here's a picture of the dice. <laughs> maybe make them make their own cheat sheet. Maybe make them make their own rules. Everyone's <laughs> playing fifth edition and it's their turn. It's like, I want to hit them with my sword. Cool. Roll a d20. Yeah. Okay. And then you just kind of like hand wave the results and <laughs> describe it. And then they have fun. I mean, obviously they're not there for the mechanical tactical battle sense. They're there for, I hit it with my sword. All right. Yeah. And when this happens, it's usually, it doesn't matter what the game system is. Right. It could be the simplest rule set. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Could be the most complex. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You could ask them what the name of their character is, and they're gonna <laughs> they're not gonna be able to find it on the sheet. Yeah, or it'll be blank. But off of that, because obviously Wayne and I have the same players, and we know exactly who we're talking about <laughs> in this whole conversation. <laughs> One of my Christmas in February sort of asks here as a game master is bring something to the table in my games. You don't have to be the rules guy because I, I'll tell you a, a dirty little secret. I'm kind of making it up as we go. I don't use stat blocks and stuff. And I kind of just write numbers until we get to a critical point. Hit points for me for monsters is me looking at the mood of the table. If we're starting to slow down or they're starting to get tired or their attention's starting to wane, that's when it's clutch time. And gee, guys, he, he's so close. He's only got a few more hit points the numbers are meaningless. And so what I want is I just want them to bring something to the table. I want them to either bring some really good role playing, some funny jokes, uh, an understanding of the rules and how to do it. I'm not saying they have to bring all of these things. I don't want someone to just sit there passively. Yeah. Don't be a baby bird. Yeah. And I'm not even saying a hundred percent of the time. I got into a, a debate years ago with our favorite Chris Hussey about this. Now, I'm, I'm going to make his argument for him and then defeat his argument. But uh, his argument was they're very busy people. They don't get to game often. And when they do, it's time to game. It's time to sit down and game. And I get that. And he was saying he wants near 100% engagement because it's go time. And I'm like, but people aren't like that. People cannot be engaged 100% of the time. They can barely make it through an hour of a class. I, I get what he's saying, and I, I remember this debate, I think. Yeah. And, and once again, we're just going to, of course, going to... Oh, yeah, I mean, he was wrong. We'll, so. just, we'll, just, we'll just, you know, handle his argument for him. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he was necessarily wrong. When I was working for a company that now doesn't exist anymore, they had an interesting thing where they had brought in someone from the outside to teach a bunch of, like, customer management, quality management, how to improve satisfaction kind of stuff. It actually was pretty good stuff. Some of it was corporate BS, but some Mm -hmm. of it actually was pretty good. I mean, and I'm super cynical about such things. For So for me to give even a grain of sand of credit is no small thing. So when the consultant came in, he said to the owners, you need to set some kind of goal here. 
there has to be something for people to work towards. And the owner of the company said, we want 100% customer satisfaction. (laughs) The guy that was teaching the class said, okay, you know that's not realistic because you are never going to satisfy 100% of people, both because, one, no organization's perfect, and two, even if you were, not every person you're dealing with is reasonable or can be satisfied. But the counter-argument the owner made is he said, no, we need a goal like that so we keep striving to be better. We have to have a goal that is just a little bit out of reach because of the fact that it drives us to push harder and whatever. And I think if they had ever said we didn't reach 100% because it's implausible yeah. and therefore nobody gets their bonus, it had been a dick move. But they, right. didn't, they didn't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just kept it there as this reminder that we are always striving to be the best we can possibly be, even if the standard we're reaching for isn't entirely perfect. Someone in my management chain gave that exact type of thing the other day, going through the goal setting, saying, is this achievable? No, but it is something that we should be striving for. And if we don't make it, not going to whip anyone for it or anything, but we will have made progress towards it. Maybe it's not achievable now. Maybe it will be achievable next month. If you're setting a goal that you can, you will definitely hit, it's not really a goal. Yeah, there's a distinction between, I think, contentment, you know, living in the moment a little bit versus being completely satisfied with where you're at. I mean, look, if you're satisfied with where you're at, your life journey's over. I mean, mm-hmm. you're done. If you have no further goals, whatever. And I think that's something I would apply to these Christmas gifts, right. including, I think, what Chris said, which is, I don't think it's wrong to have a goal of 100% engagement. Now, I don't think that's a realistic metric. Yeah. I don't think I that's... I think it's you know, laughable but that it's so unrealistic. But I don't think it's wrong to say that's what I would like. Right. I mean, there's been no Christmas in my life where I've gotten everything I wanted. That's just, you know, first of all, not that materialistic. And secondly, that's not the point of, you know... Mm-hmm. All you those. strive for 100%, and if you hit 95%, you're ecstatic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you feel pretty good about that. And so, yeah, we can dream a little here. I mean, yeah, nobody's going to hit these goals 100% of the time. People aren't going to bring what we want all the time, every time. Kind of along that line, Christmas gift-wise, is people that put away their electronics. You're welcome, Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) That don't have their laptops out, don't have their phones out playing on them. I don't know why it doesn't bother me as much if someone's looking through a rule book. Yeah, because it's the same thing. They're fidgeting. They're doing something different. They're distracted. Oh, that bothers me just as much. But for some reason, for me, electronics bother me more. The the reason rule books bother me is, and I can see why they wouldn't, is because it at least appears to be on topic. But I have watched players sit there and flip through rule book in a way that was clearly not on topic. They're just. I'm not apologizing for this. Oh, I saw you. I'm thinking of. <laughs> well, you should be because it's what I used to do. But they're they're skimming for interesting little tidbits that are unrelated, total non sequiturs yeah. to the game. They're looking at the art. They're doing mm-hmm. something utterly off topic. But you know, I tell you, I've apparently got my Christmas here because at least with the Skies of Glass game, I don't have that problem with you guys. You guys are oh, not. Your players absolutely look at their electronic devices when they should be paying attention. Well, they just hide it. No, and no, they're I, really bad at it. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, but I can. Here's what matters to me: 
One is the couple of times that I've seen it, I've had at least some reason to believe they had a good reason to do it. Right. I knew there was a family thing going on or a work mm-hmm. thing going on, or it was brief and they put it down. But secondly, there's a difference between glancing and the, playing there, Candy Crush. There's a, the, yeah, there's a difference between we're in the middle of a scene, the phone vibrates, yep. they take it out, look at it, text, 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 send, put it back in their yep. pocket. Sure. And they're... Or surfing Facebook yes. non there's, there's a difference between yeah, handling an issue that. and looking for entertainment. Yeah. Right. They're not entertainment shopping. But And here's and, how I can tell. Without even knowing what's on their screen. And this is going to be my Christmas gift. Don't make me f***ing repeat myself. <laughs> yeah. Now, I understand I might say something and you misunderstand what I said. Mm-hmm. I can see how in the course of a game... You tune out for 30 seconds because something crosses 30 your... seconds? Oh, my God. Well, whatever. My life would be perfect. It could be a few minutes, whatever, yeah. because, you know, you have something that's distracting you. There's other things going on in your life, and I'm okay with that. This goes back to the 100% is an unrealistic right. goal. I'm not literally saying don't ever make me repeat myself, but I have been in games where I've had to repeat myself so many times, and it just is like... I, that's a huge pet peeve of mine. Mm. I don't know why. I hate repeating myself. When I get to the electronics thing, I think part of it is I wouldn't mind if, let's say, Chad, you and I are doing something with mm-hmm. your character in an NPC, and then uh, somebody sitting next to you checks their email real quick and then right. puts it away. A quick check or something. My problem is I want to be able to look up and make eye contact with the person and right. see their face. And well, we have somebody in our group who is so addicted to their phone that the spotlight shifts to them and it is their scene. And I'm not talking like dice rolling sort of thing. NPCs are interacting with them and they are role playing in character using voice on point while they are on their phone surfing Facebook. And there are pauses in their speech and they are not there quite 100 percent. They're there a lot more than other people are. They generally know what's going on, but it's just like you're role playing with the top of someone's head, and it's it that's what infuriates me. Yeah, and that's why I think with books, I don't know why with with books it doesn't bother me as much, but it's because the think book when, when the book does the book. not actively take attention. The book is something you look down, you flip through. Hey, Chad, this guy's talking to you. Oh, is he a flaming skeleton? Yes. Man, I light my cigarette off of his skull, and we start role playing. And- I think maybe that's the difference. I've never seen when it's somebody with a book, and this spotlight goes to them. I've never seen them still look through yeah. the book. I have one person, but only one person. But so I'll admit it, it's certainly rarer than cell phone problems. But I've seen it. Yeah, I find books to be very passive. The problem with cell phones and other electronics is that the role play, the role play is like that, Chad. There's a skeleton talking to you. Okay, yeah, I start role-playing and blah, 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 and it's back and forth, and then there you go. With a phone, it isn't passive. It's interactive, and it takes your attention. So it's like, Chad, there's a skeleton. So I, um, you said skeleton? Yeah. So are we in combat? No, he's just trying to talk to you. You know, my character doesn't really like skeletons, so, um... I just tell it, uh, you know, I, I just don't even talk to it. I, I, I don't like, I don't like skeletons. Then go back to, I mean, because it is taking a percentage of your attention and interacting with it, engaging with it. Whereas a book is, you're looking at it and you're not looking at it. You're looking at it and you're not looking at it. All right. So my next Christmas gift is going to be 
at least try to care. Now, I'm moving away from the table side or metagame stuff. I'm talking about the endgame stuff. I've put together a world. I've put together characters. I have a plot. I am not a sandbox GM. I'm not saying you can't or shouldn't take some kind of proaction. But what I am saying is there are things to do. There are things to discover. At least try you know, and this is something you guys are doing wonderfully in the current Skies of Glass game, but I have had issues with in past games where I've got setting, I've got NPCs, I've got plot. It's not for want of things going on, but the people there just don't even try to care. They don't even give it a shot. It's not like they tried and it bombed and it didn't work and we need to rethink the game. They didn't try in the first place. I love it. I tell you, as much as I bitch about it, I love it when you guys walk up to random NPCs, and though I don't know why you need the names of all of them, and that's your first question. <laughs> it's our motivation. I know, which is why now on my own phone, a random name generator <laughs> is now almost always open when I run a game. So I just hit generate names and grab the first one that comes up. I've gone back to one of the things that we've talked about before of having lists of names. So in the current game I'm running, I have sheets that are... This is the Amazons. Here's a list of Amazon names. This is the uh, the bird people. As they meet people, check. Right. Okay, but this let me, is what this person Let is. me work through the current leg of the Skies of Glass campaign. So when we start off in, I think it was Dixon, Chad immediately latches on to the mayor's, is their father or father-in-law? Right. The, the grandpa. The grandpa mm-hmm. with the watermelon yeah. in the chess game. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you immediately latch on to him. And even though you're half his age, you're both sitting there being curmudgeons and hating mm-hmm. everybody. And Junior's running around trying to talk the town's mayor into getting a hair treatment done. Right. And Brandon was running some quack clinic on the <laughs> on one part of town. But, you know, these were things that I did not have to beg and plead with you guys to do. I gave you the tools. I put the stuff on the table and you guys started making things out of it. You cared. You know, when something popped up in the plot, you didn't always chase it, which is fine. My games Mm -hmm. aren't a railroad, but you at least cared. Fat Tony and Lovin' and all these things, they came out of a lot of you guys taking an investment in what was going on when something dropped or you guys would just make something up on the fly or whatever, but you guys cared about the setting. I, I had to bring the product, right? Mm. Okay. If we think of this, like a pizza delivery, I had to bring the pizza, but I did not have to convince you guys a to like pizza or B to at least try a slice. Right. And that's what I'm talking about is I, I hate sitting there talking to a dead audience where maybe they're not even distracted, but they just, for whatever reason, they're being passive aggressive about it. They're, just not energetic. I don't know what it is, but they don't even so, try. Like so, that time we played the Silver Scorpions game. All those times we played it. <laughs> man, those are the days. The old man with the watermelon. Yeah. And I distinctly remember that whole scene and why I did that. As a play, as a person, really, I hate the open silence. Like you're having a conversation with somebody and the conversation maybe runs its course or somebody says something. And then nobody says anything. That pause is like nails on a chalkboard to me. Yeah. It does not necessarily mean that I have to fill it with my voice and I need to hear my voice. I need someone to say something 
because it makes me uncomfortable. And I don't know why it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like sitting there and things being left unsaid, and this, this sort of pregnant pause, this sort of openness. So all role-playing games are like this. When you have new players and a new group and a new game and new characters, there is a bit of bumbling of, I don't know what to do. It's like showing up for your first day at work at a new job. Maybe you're there, you've got your suit all pressed, your tie is straight, and you really want to impress people, and you don't even know where the bathroom is. Yeah. Like, you can't impress anybody because you don't know what to do. And so what players do is they look for the cues. They look for the cues from the game master. They look for the cues from the other players. The game master is presenting. They're, they're presenting the situation. They're presenting the setting. They're presenting the character. So it's like, here's A, here's B, here's C, and you guys. And then nothing. And then nothing. And then I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, I cannot take it. It's, it's that pregnant silence, and I can't do it. So I sit there as long as I could possibly stand it, which, if you listen to the recording, is probably about 10 seconds. <laughs> and I just start going. Now, Dan has presented everything that he, he can present because the game master just cannot run a mouth. He has to let the other players do things. He has to let the other players in. And Dan presents. He does his ABC, his setting, his characters, his situation. And now it's your guy's turn. And so I fill it. I lashed on to an old guy. We start talking about chess because at that time in my life, Chad's life, not Gil's life, I was doing a lot of chess puzzles and I was really into chess. I go in these cycles with chess sometimes. Uh, we started talking about watermelon. I have no f-ing idea why. And I'm trying to feel out Gil. I know he's a bully. How much of an asshole is he? This guy's a curmudgeon. I'm going to mirror that curmudgeon and see how that feels a little bit to see if it works for Gil. And I'm going to make this scene that is apropos of nothing to give the other players a chance to say something, to fill in that space, because I know they have to get their sea legs. So you hit on something there that's something that I love as a GM. I love when my players latch on to NPCs and start having the conversations. I look at the current game, and this is Mm -hmm. something I'm struggling with. uh, Because the current game I'm running is a Hollow Earth Expedition game. So the party is a group of people that have shoved together in a drill and went to the center of the Earth. So it's like a Jules Verne. Yes. Yes. Okay. So... They're NPC- dinosaurs, all that sort of thing. There are a okay. couple of NPCs with them, but they're dealing with all these drastically different factions and things, but they're interacting with each other. I can't seem to get an NPC voices do, out. Do you want to know what the solution to your problem is? Yes. Okay. Bring a gun. Bring a gun. So the other solution, <laughs> perchance, what you're dealing with is you're dealing with Stranger in a Strange Land, right? Yes. We are a group of people, and we're gelling together. Like you said, the PCs yep. are interacting with each other, but you need them to interact with NPCs because they have to do the game interface. They just can't masturbate each other. Yep. What the problem is, when we started in Kansas, we could interact with all the NPCs in Kansas because we as players and our characters understood Kansas. Yep. Now we're dropped in Hollow Earth, and we've got bird people and mole people and lizard people and dinosaurs and Nazis. And we've got these people on horses who I'm guessing are horse people. They are alien. And when we... Are you saying Wayne needs a fat Tony? Wayne 
No, no, because we have in peace. Tony was also from the station. He no, was no, because they have a few people no, no. with them. See, that's the thing. The NPCs that come with us, they're in the same boat. That's not going to get us to interact. What Wayne needs to do is to have people that we can relate to in the hollow earth that can, you know how when you watch a TV show, there is, uh, we'll say Doctor Who or Star Trek or any of those like that. It's dealing with an alien thing, and you've got all these people who are really good at what they do, but then you have the incompetent guy. But the story is told through the incompetent guy's eyes because it explains what's going on to the audience. Now, the audience is the NPCs. We're a role-playing game, so we want to feel capable. We don't want to be the dumb guy, but we need someone there who knows the terrain but we can relate to. Having a bird person come down and be that NPC will not work. The two alien, we don't get it. Mm. We don't understand them. We're scared of them, or we hate them, or, we, or there's too much difference. What we need is a person from America who is down there, and we didn't know they were down there, and they were lost, and they found us, and they're really glad they found us, and they can guide us. Now, the problem with that is that's how we introduced one of the players. <laughs> and yep. so that's I, As you were going taken. through, I was thinking that whole thing. Now, we can't do it with the Nazis. Because they're Nazis. Because they're Nazis. Yes. Uh, I mean, and, even though they're less alien to you than Birdmen, they yeah, are. They're not. They're getting slapped. First right. Nazi we see is going to die. I mean, yeah. that's just how it is. Yeah, right. So, have you really not figured out the horses? No. I, we haven't tried because we're too busy trying to the horses are intelligent but the people aren't is it like a winnem thing no well, it's they're amazons oh yeah so we haven't even tried to wrap our heads around that because we're still trying to grok the situation we're in we don't have yep. anyone that we can relate to and it's not a trust thing right it's a relate to thing that we can go to the person that we relate to and say i think this about the horses and they're like oh, Maybe you're right. And it gives us that little victory and it, and it kind of guides us. Maybe you're close about it, but what if it's like this? <gasps> hey, I think it's like this. And it is interesting because usually in the games I run, this isn't the distant traveler thing, isn't how I normally run right. games. Normally they have these NPCs. NPCs come in and they develop the relationships with them. Yeah, you know, as a side observation before I get my next Christmas list item. That was something, because one of the things I was thinking of that might help you was reading Gulliver's Travels, because in that he goes through all these different lands, and in each of them you see how he gets exposed to society and who sort of explains it to him and where that buy-in comes from of this stranger in a strange land who does learn about these places. But one of the things Gulliver's Travel has in common with Star Trek is in Star Trek, the characters are relatable and the aliens are relatable mm -hmm. because all of them are metaphor for a trait of humanity or a social truth. And that's also true in Gulliver's Travels. All of them were meant yep. to be some kind of social commentary or social satire. But if that's not the game you're running, then you no, specifically all of mine are corrupted, twisted visions of historical societies. Hmm. So here's my next one. Humor me. I don't know that I've had this issue lately, but this is certainly an issue I've had in the many years of GMing, is players come to the table and they bring a character idea and they bring some kind of input to the game. And I really do try to make it work. 
sometimes probably when I shouldn't and should tell them no. But I really do try to make it work and to get their characters in there and, and to fi- you know, find something that they're going to be interested in. But I have had a struggle as a game master say, you know, I would really like to try a campaign of this or a plot like that. And I know we did an episode on this that probably my sales pitches are all off. But I wish more often people would say, okay, we're going to give that a try. You know what? For the sake of your enjoyment as a GM, let's give it a try. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, we don't have to keep playing it, but we'll at least give it a try. And you could say that also within a game, I guess. We kind of talked about this with people taking some sort of initiative. But if I throw out some kind of theme or plot element or locale or something to at least eh, go sample it, you know, at least humor it a little bit. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Once again, my games aren't a railroad. But, you know, if, if you bring a character to the table that's like this and has these openings in their background, I'm going to try and make that work for your sake. And as a GM, I think I would like to get that in return probably more often than I do. And once again, lately has been a lot better than previously. Because you have a normal group. I, I, <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> you know, even besides that, I would say... Me as a player, I can't look to a lot of areas where I think I've grown as a player. I think that's one of them. I mean, I can look back at some of the things that Dan has suggested before that I balked at. Particularly, we look back at I have a problem with creating characters in a military structure. Mm -hmm. But if he were to suggest a game now, I'd have no problem saying, okay, let's give it a shot. In my earlier gaming career, I was more likely to say, I don't know how to do that. Right. So that's something I think I've grown as a player. I pretty much try whatever's thrown in front of me by a GM I trust. And even though I always trusted Jan as a GM because he was my first GM, there were some things he threw out that I was one of the people that said, I don't know. I would have still played it. I would have still ran with it. But yeah, I I mean, I did push back on particularly military games and Mm -hmm. one of the Epoch of Rysos. We didn't want to be military. And not every idea by anyone is worthy. Sure. You know, it's a marketplace and there's got to be give and take. But, you know, so so balance in everything. I mean, if your GM is just really throwing any against the wall, it's okay to push back. Here's my next one. Don't be a speed bump. (laughs) When I'm running a game, I think of it vaguely like a relay race. No one is or can be sprinting all the time. There comes moments where you pass off the baton because people... They need to clear their head or they just aren't feeling at the moment or it's not a scene that particularly appeals to them or they're not in the spotlight, whatever. And so that baton gets passed off from one person to another or one side of the table to the other side or however it's working. Nobody's in, you know, on the go 100% of the time. But I hate it when the baton gets passed to somebody, particularly when it was well choreographed that this is about to happen and the game just stops. One of the ones that I swear, if people don't understand why there's such a gun culture in the U.S., it's because of spell lists. <laughs> you get to somebody, especially who's playing a spell cache, it's like, what do you do? Holy shit. How long did you have going around the table? And I understand yeah. the situation's evolving a bit, but seriously, you don't have that many spells. And how long did you have when the t- it was going around the table to figure out what you were going to cast? And when we get to you, you're still going to sit there for three minutes anyway. And it's not a matter of you don't know the rules. Maybe you even do know the rules, and that's the problem. Right. And you're just sitting there and thinking and thinking and thinking. And it doesn't cast have to- mist form, Pat. We know you're going to do it. <laughs> it. It doesn't even have to be in combat. I see it most frequently in combat. 
but it could be in role playing as well. Where have you ever had somebody just give a scene ending comment? Yes. What do you mean? Well, what I mean by that, probably one of the most famous scene ending things, and I'm I'm going to speak to the Bible here, but I'm speaking to the Bible as literature. Okay, this is not right. a, a religious thing. There is a moment in the story of Christ where Christ is being questioned by Pontius Pilate, and they have a back and forth, and a few things are said, and at the very end of it, Pontius Pilate asks the question, what is truth, and then walks out of the room. Does, does not give Jesus any opportunity to answer, just says what is truth and walks out of the room. That was a scene under. Yeah. You know, he was... And in, in, in this metaphor... Pontius Pilate is the character, not your NPC. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Pontius, Pontius Pilate would be the player where I've set up this scene, and I'm not saying you can't play in character, because I realize sometimes the in-character answer is, I don't want to deal with this person, or you're asking me to talk to a shopkeeper while my dad is being tortured in the basement of the castle. I, I get that. But what I mean is someone who is consistently, you pass them the baton, and they just like, I don't know. I had this in a Battletech game where there was a young woman who's playing with us and I was digging through one of the conspiracies in Battletech that's in the canon, but never got fully developed before the plot sort of jumped forward, which is that Wolster Goons was doing, which is for anyone who doesn't play Battletech, they are a splinter group of one of the clans who became a very, very large mercenary company so large that they're arguably their own minor power. They're almost not really a mercenary force anymore. But the clans are big into genetic engineering. And what the Wolster Goons were doing is when people went to the big mercenary market that they had opened up where they were like trying to do contracts, it was a neutral meeting ground and all this stuff. And they'd done all this political maneuvering to get it. Is that meant some of the best pilots in existence were passing through? And what they were doing was they were stealing genetic information from these people without their consent and against their will and running their own genetic engineering program to try and make their own breeds of clan-type super soldiers. Now, the people that were playing the game were very new to Battletech, had never heard of this subplot. So I was kind of running with it, and they ended up at one point on a Wolster Goons base. And this young lady's character at night you know, kind of wanders out and follows some clues and some weird things going on and ultimately manages to swipe someone's key card and through a bunch of good rolls and such, finds the genetic engineering lab where they were doing this. This is a scandal so big, it would shake the galaxy to its core. Okay, this would be a huge change of events. This is massive. This would be like finding out that every person in America has a clone in a lab facility somewhere in Russia, okay? <laughs> this shakes your understanding of the world to its core. And she just put the key card back and just went back to her room and acted like it never happened. For it, the rest of the campaign? Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. was like, yeah. I mean, never that, told any of the other players? I think possibly kind of tried to mention it to John, but by this point, John, like, she didn't have the key card or something, and John was nowhere near the action, and it was like, you had a one in a million shot and I gave you every possible thing you could have. You know, I fudged everything in your favor so you could walk back with evidence of this or something and you just walked away from it. I mean, didn't even... And and there was no in-character reason whatsoever because everybody, even John, was beside himself. He's like, 
are you serious? He's <laughs> like, you know, how are you not going to react to this? Which is like, nah. Mm. Just the player was just not interested. In- I don't know what the end just suddenly mm. just boom. There goes all the air out of the campaign. I mean, it's not like that yeah. was the only plot point I had. There was a lot of other plots going on, but everyone at the table was like, what is going on here? How would you just, just not do right. this? And- so it's not that extreme, but one of the ones like that for me is when you hear someone say something along the lines of, uh, they're not going to tell us the truth anyway. They're not going to give us a straight answer. Yeah. I've Pre- heard that from multiple players. I call it pre-defeat. Yeah. Pre-defeat is something that I absolutely hate. It's a big no-no for me, and I push back against it hard. There's some guards, or there's the bad guy, or there's somebody, and the plot is sort of angling towards them, and then a player declares, we should not talk to them because they're just going to lie to us. Could you not say that about every single person on the face (laughs) of the planet? So does that mean we are now silent monks? I mean, yeah, well, what am I as a GM supposed to do? Yeah. How, what, yeah. What am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. And I think we've all probably heard it at different oh, points yeah. while running games. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of when you were talking about the comment that just ends the scene. Yeah. yeah. That's the one is because everyone's like, oh, well, okay, well, I guess there's no point in doing that. Yeah, I guess they're, they're yeah. just. Uh, and that's what we're talking about is don't, don't be the speed bump. Don't be the reason the game suddenly jolts to a stop and i'm not saying this is never in character or never appropriate or never whatever but when people just do this at the weirdest times or without any explanation or do it consistently it's like man come on as a game master i have to bring so much to the table mm-hmm. already and now on top of that i have to carry your weight too <laughs> thought of another one that i love okay i love when a game gets to a combat situation and a player does something completely and totally off script i get frustrated with combat sometimes when i'm running games because it gets into a back and forth i hit you for five points you mm-hmm. hit me for shin five kicking. points yeah two yes. guys walk up to each other and just start kicking each other in shins until they run out of hit points i want people to come up with creative things i hit you for five points you run upstairs and push a box down on him yeah, you see what it's, I'm saying? It's, it's not standing there yes. deflating hit points out of the enemy. Yes, or, you know, okay, well, I'm going to go turn the light in on his eye to blind him so Chad can go hit him. Right. I want more things like that. I want more mm-hmm. cinematic. I don't care if there's no rule for it. I'm going to give a bonus because somebody came up with an interesting idea that makes the next one more interesting because I am sick and tired of the back and forth hit each other with sticks. Yeah. I want cinematic, fun descriptions of what you're doing, and I'm going to find ways to reward that. So where do you guys fall on the having a player, okay, you hit, okay, now roll damage. It's like, okay, I do six points of damage. Does the game master describe what happens, or does the player describe what happens? I do back and forth. Mm -hmm. If I have something that I think is... Well, okay, so wait, this is the Christmas episode. This is about what you want. What do you want? The rules have been rolled, and you have the number... Now we're at the point in the, the situation where either you as a game master say, you know, you, blood flies everywhere as you pierce his heart, or does the player do something like that? What do you want? I want the player to describe creative intent, but not result. Because to me, result is a combination of dice and other things. I want to stab him in the heart. Precisely. Yeah. I, I'm going you to don't try and... say. I stab him in the heart and get and his hot dies. blood on my face, yep. and he dies, and, and his mom explodes. And drops plus five boots. Right. I'm 100% with Dan. I want them to describe the intent of what they're trying to do. 
I want to describe the effect except for the final blow. Mm-hmm. I like handing the final blow over to the player. Right. And keeping in mind, I rolled, you know, 16 points of damage. This is huge. Okay. Describe me an incredible final effect. Or I he only had one point left and you finished him. Okay. You finished him off. How did you finish him off? I want the player to... I don't want the player to give me this big, huge, dramatic, I finished him off for a one point of damage. Yeah. But if the player did 16 points of damage, I want them to give me big, huge. So that's what I want from the players. I want the player to scale what they did based on the results. For my take, I want the player to describe everything. I want them to describe their intent, and I want them to roll the dice, and I want them to tell me what happens, and it never works out for me. Why? Because I can't do pregnant pauses. I cannot fill. If they pause for half a second in my mind, that turns into a minute and a half of me staring at them waiting. And I just fill It's faster for me to fill it in. I think there are some games, though, that maybe handle that better than others because they inherently encourage it. Inspectors is a great example. If you roll such and such a die, not only do you succeed, but you, the player, have to describe a success or a mitigating failure. Mm-hmm. And that in every time I played inspectors, people struggle with that for about the first 30 to 60 minutes. And then it just pops yep. because they suddenly start to get in the flow of that and play off each other. I think at a game like D and D it absolutely can be done. Oh yeah. But it's just, I rolled, I rolled, I rolled a die. Damage, yeah. 15 was a success. And if I rolled a 15, I did three D six damage. And all of a sudden you're asking me, I pushed a box and it broke over the guy's head. What was in the box? So it's like, ah, I tried to get around this in the hollow earth expedition. The last combat we did by after it was over, I rolled back the scene and tried to describe it narratively and it didn't flow like, yeah, like I wanted it to. I was experimenting to see if that Mm -hmm. would work and it didn't work because always experiment. I don't want that back and forth hit. So the I said I want players to do interesting things and describe interesting things and I'll give you bonuses and I'll fudge numbers and I'll do whatever mm-hmm. if you make it interesting and it's not hitting back and forth because especially if something has a lot of hit points yeah. it gets frustrating and I don't do the you know fudging the hit yeah. points thing as much I I'll be honest I don't think I've ever admitted this to you guys I do that in Dresden files I have no I idea what so. their I have no idea what their stress bar should be. Right. What it is is when you out. guys get frustrated, they're yeah, dead. That's fine too. It's all the dice are fudge. <laughs> all right. So I'll give you guys a piece of advice here too about how like human psychology works. You get a game that has a lot of crunch in it or numbers, and, and that's fine. You know, I have this modifier, I roll this dice, I'm trying to hit this number. I do it, and I roll this many dice to find this damage, which is reduced by this armor, so it's this algebraic equation. And mechanically, it's best to do this same thing every single time. Then I have to stop, and I have to literally describe plunging my dagger into his heart and the hot spray of blood on my face and the emotional rush as I killed and finally defeated my father. Those are two different parts of your brain. Yeah. Those are two totally different separate parts of your psyche there's uh an anxiety uh method that people sometimes can use where if they're having some anxiety or nervousness they stop and they count backwards from 100 and you do this because an emotional part of your brain is telling you that there is something wrong 
and then you're forcing yourself to count backwards from 100, which is a different part of your brain that you're engaging. So you're basically kind of like distracting yourself while the anxiety passes. Again, it's not for everybody, but it's just one of your sure. tactics. The same thing kind of applies in a role-playing game. When you're doing this sort of algebra math, you're engaging a logical math part of your brain. Then when you look up and the game master is looking at you expectantly going, and what do you do? And what's it like? Then the person who's sitting there is like grinding their gears as they're shifting into a different gear to start saying, Oh yeah, and here's all this emotional stuff too. Yeah, it's it's like eleven hit points. What is that? <laughs> yeah, what does that yeah, mean? What do you really want me to say? I don't even know how many hit points this guy has. Right. And I, I struggle with this as a player. Because it's something I want to be creative, but and I find myself each time getting going back to okay, well, this is what's going to work mechanically. This yeah. is the numbers, this is what we need to do to be successful. And I I really struggle with it. Yeah. Something I'm wanting from players I can't even give myself. So right. I think my biggest weakness, or at least one that I feel that I have a weakness in, I don't know if it's true or not, is, like I said, I can't stand the pause, so I describe things, and I catch myself using the same descriptions to describe the same thing. I mean, you can only describe plunging a sword in somebody's heart so many different ways (laughs) and keep it interesting, but... Cool. I guess we're going to end this one. With plunging a knife in someone's heart. Plunging a knife in someone's heart. For 2d6. We will come back next time with a player Christmas. And as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the forum, on Facebook, on Twitter, on the Discord channel, not on Google Plus because it's going away, though I'm sure Chris may be still over there. But <laughs> Oh, he is. <laughs> I feel bad for him because he's losing his platform. But anyway. <laughs> we need fewer platforms in this Yeah, world. we do. I actually, on our website, I have only what? some of them linked because there are so yeah. many yep. places you can find us now. Well, and I can't and even. Look. I remember for the record, Chad, you may describe plunging a sword into someone's heart the same way, but that's not how I kill people. I say, "Hey, Dan, I want to roll medical to help save them." Yes. Yeah, so, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2019. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.